call me Al, you can call me Ed, you just, just fucking call me, why don't you? Hey everybody now, welcome to Live on Four Legs, a definitive live Pearl Jam podcast. And uh, if you've been paying attention for the last week, we have launched our brand new concertpedia page, liveonfourlegs.com. And John and I are very proud of it. And all the people that have uh, donated and contributed writings to the website have done a fantastic job. And we and the response has just been amazing since it's only been a couple of days uh, and Thursday when we did the whole meetup thing and everybody was saying like, oh, I love going back and reading the reviews and going and seeing the episodes and stuff like that. It made us feel really good. So for that, we decided to give you a little special treat that we recorded two months ago. We were going to give you this treat no matter, no matter what, but uh, we're going to give it to you now because it's kind of timely and fits in with, with what we're doing here. So uh, Randy Sobel over here, John Farrar over there. Hello, John. This was Randy. your idea. Randy John. Yeah, this is someone that I that I've wanted to have on the show since the beginning because um we have Karen Rose on the show today. And Karen, if you're if you're not familiar, was one of the original spearheading forces behind fivehorizons.com, which kind of started this whole thing for me at least. Like you know, it's just unbelievably influential in going back and reading all the stuff that they did and just just an amazing archive of of information that we still use to this day. And I've ever since, you know, coming on the show, I've always wanted to talk to her about it. And because, you know, we 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 kind of don't know the, the a lot of the story. Like it's just it was just kind of behind the scenes and they weren't, you know, kind of out in front in, you know, in, in being that way. And it was they, you know, they stopped in the early two thousands you know, before social media and before all of that. So, and no one's ever really gotten the full story. So I was very excited to talk to Karen had tried to, we tried to get her on the show for a long time. I was so thankful that she was able to do it. And uh, yeah, it's a really good conversation. You know, Eve, since five horizons, she's gone on to be an author. She's a freelance journalist. Uh, she's a fantastic follow on Twitter at Karen Rose. She's way into rock and roll, way into Pearl Jam, all into, all the bunch of cool stuff she's writing a patty smith book which we talk about a little bit it's going to come out next year so she's got a lot of stuff going on she she really likes the mets i'm not going to hold that against her um but we uh suck yeah, right now it's all this, right this is a this evergreen is a really, comment yeah exactly this is a uh this is a fun conversation i hope you guys uh enjoy and not just that it's a very raw conversation she is yeah. so super yeah. honest with everything and like like i mentioned we recorded this before the baby came so i had forgotten a lot of what was said before I, I went back and did the actual editing and i went back i'm like oh my wow i can't believe we're telling some of these stories it's really kind of amazing stuff and stuff that you really wouldn't expect so i, I it, it, you know very entertaining she was very fun to talk to and uh look you know yeah. like like you said john she spearheaded all this and and kind of what started this and as she'll say you know nobody was using the phrase concert chronology until they were using using it and nobody realized why they were using yeah. it so there are just there are definitely some great stories in here uh and i mean if you love going through the reviews like just just sit back and and enjoy this one. It's it's a, it's a quick listen. You'll love it. And uh, really, with the way that we start, we start by just asking her how it all went down because it's uh the whole thing is uh, is just pretty intriguing. It's probably stuff that you haven't heard before. So here she is, Karen Rose. 
So there used to be a, a website run by a guy named Caleb, and I think it was the tour book or some, I forget what it was called. And um, it was, there was, there was his website, there was Usenet, um, Alt Music Pearl Jam, AMPJ. Um, and that was, there was a mailing list called Garden of Stone. Um, and Caleb worked for his dad's audiovisual company and he was always traveling places. And I started collecting shows and I would listen to the shows and I would go look at what Caleb had in the tour book and I would send him these long emails with corrections. Um, I was slightly older than the average Pearl Jam fan. And so there were things I caught that other people just didn't, you know, it was, it was before you could just like Google the words to a song and find out what it was on your phone. So I started sending, I was sending Caleb these really long updates and spending a lot of time on it. And he wasn't updating or he would get my update and he'd be like, I don't understand why any of this is important. And uh, there was uh, two other people that I knew from, Gar there were several other people I knew from Garden of Stone. There was a guy named Carl Sylvester, a guy named Andrew Dunn. And then there was my good friend, Gene Bruns. And there was a fifth person involved at the time, which is why we called it Five Horizons. Because there were five of us and we were all really different. And we all had particular um, strengths that, that we really kind of completed ourselves. But Carl dropped out before, like, like the third week we started working on it. Um, Andy was doing our graphic design and he, you know, some people, you know, people were also, these are all, everybody was kind of young and didn't like getting constructive criticism. And, you know, Andy had a lot of stuff going on and he did a lot of the initial graphics, but then he dropped out. So it was me, Jean, and another person. And we just started pulling everything together. Like, and it was, what do we want the site to have? Um, and it was, I, I've always been uh, an arc, kind of an archivist in training. You know, when I was, when I was 10 years old and discovered the Beatles, I had this little notebook that I like made a calendar out of every page. And then I'd write in to the dates, like what happened on that date in Beatles history. And then I would show up at lunchtime at the cafeteria and I would tell everybody what happened. It did not make me very popular, but, but, it, <laughs> but it was, you know, and I also used to, um, there, there was this, this research tool back in the days of the covered wagons, uh, which is what I'm talking about clearly, called the Reader's Guide to Periodicals. And that was how you found like, where was an article about this in this newspaper? And I would be at the library and I would just look, I would go look for, look for the Beatles, look for the Rolling Stones, look for Bob Dylan. And you could find all this early coverage and it just was, 
you know, it, it just made, I felt like sort of a cross between a detective and a Rolling Stone writer. Um, so my brain always kind of worked that way. Like how, and it was also just, we all had, myself and Jean particularly, we had a vision about how we felt that we should be documenting the history of this band. And we knew that the band were not gonna agree with it. The band will never agree. Bands are not, bands have their own, bands and musicians have their own version their own ideas of what, how they want to represent themselves, what they want their legacy to be. And it's not that they're wrong, it's just their version. Um, you know, the, the Pearl Jam fought the internet for so long. Um, I'm kind of going ahead, I'm kind of leaping ahead. But anyway, that that's how it started. We just started, we started with the basic information from Caleb's tour books were like dates, venues, set lists if we had them. And then we just started, we stood it up and people started sending us stuff. They would send us shows. They would listen to shows and send up. They would be like, oh, I just listened to this. And I had my brother happened to know that that was a Cat Stevens song. So here you can put that in. Um, you know, we called it, and I and I, I think I was telling you this in email, we called it the concert chronology and not the gigography and not the concert history because it was a joke between Gene and myself about Chris Cornell um, of blessed memory. And we would be like, we could say we're working on the CC, wink, wink. Um, <laughs> and it's hilarious because there's all these people that have, adopted it since then they have no idea that it's <laughs> two women who were just like ah chris grinnell yeah huh. um it, and it you know it it was it was we were we were we wanted to you know don't forget this was like 96 like 95 we had all suffered through the whole not knowing what was going on with shows and uh, you know, I remember going to, um, I was at the show in San Francisco when Eddie got sick and Neil came out and we were all super concerned the band were going to break up. And we found out later that they thought about it, but they, I went to Summerfest. That's where I met Jean for the first time in person and a bunch of other people from the mailing list. Um, I didn't go to Soldier Field probably would have liked to go to Soldier Field. Um, and then I went to, they did two shows in the South. They did, they did a bunch of shows. I think they did across the, like Las Cruces. The September ones, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Austin. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, I, at Austin and then New Orleans. And I was going to New Orleans and then I had some friends who were like, hey, we think we're going to try to go to Austin instead of just hanging out in New Orleans. Do you want to, you know, split a car with us? So I flew to New Orleans, slept. Then we went to the airport, got on a plane and went to, we flew to Houston because it was really cheap, rented a car and drove to Austin. Well, they changed the time. They changed the time the show was supposed to start. If you look at the ticket for Austin, 
Um, it's, I think they said like five or six o'clock, but the band didn't count on, they, did, they didn't realize how much time it was going to take to get the equipment from Austin to New Orleans. So they started the show early in Austin in September. I have never been so hot in my life. Wow. Um, and it was not everybody knew like the, and they wouldn't the ticketing company that that PJ were using they didn't want them to use the internet to tell people they like thought that like radio stations it'll be enough and we were leaving and these kids just got in from Oklahoma and they missed the whole show and that was really for me like this is bullshit and um we, we have to do something like they, they Pearl Jam are going to be Pearl Jam, but people need to be able to know what, what, what's going on with shows. And so this doesn't ha- like, so this happened to so many people. Um, if you, I don't even know if you can go back on Usenet, but there were just so many heartbreaking stories of like, we drove, we drove all night. We got there three hours before showtime and the show was over. Um, so how did your, we kind of skipped the, the mid-90s and Five Horizons, but how did you get into Pearl Jam and, and, and the beginning? Like, where did your fandom kind of start? Like, were you familiar with, like, Green River and Mother Love Bone and that whole thing? So I knew about Mother Love Bone, but I, uh, and I knew peripherally about Green River. Um, but then I, I was also living in the Middle East for, in, the, in the early 90s. Oh, wow. Um, and I... I was supposed to, I really wanted to see Pearl Jam. And every time I tried, something happened. Like I was supposed to go to England to go to the Finsbury Park show with Neil and that trip got canceled. And then I wanted, was going to go to Rome when they were opening for you too. And it, the information was just not solid enough for me to buy a plane ticket and go. Um, I don't know, like, you know, it, where it it I think I want to say the single soundtrack is probably where I really got pulled into it because um I was up late watching MTV Europe and they were showing the movie party where they did Bob O'Reilly I'd say the love and trust yeah Mm -hmm. yeah I saw that and um the other thing was I came over to I came over to the States on business. And because my sister was getting married, I want to say 92, maybe 93, when they played um, MTV music, uh, MTV awards. Um, I wanted to go to the MTV. I was in, in the music business at the time. And I wanted to go to the MTV awards because it was the only show R.E.M. were playing that year. And uh Warner Brothers worked some magic and got me a ticket and I was um I got inside I sat down I was talking to the people next to me that worked for reprise and they said something like well you know Pearl Jam's playing with Neil Young tonight I'm like what (laughs) when I left Israel none of this was happening what (laughs) wait the edge is here what um and so that was the first time I saw Pearl Jam live um was was that um 
And, and, and it's funny because I always said, oh, I'm not getting into another band. I'm not going to go crazy about another band. Not doing this. Oh, my God. The right age of 30. I can't possibly pursue uh, a band. And and it just um, it just was one of those things that just sort of it was a perfect storm and it just sort of gelled. And here we are. <laughs> well, it's, I mean, it's t- almost timeless in a way. It can hit just about anybody at any point. There's still fans that come to us all the time that are basically just out of high school that have just gotten into the band and they're just learning more and more and more. So it's, and now that these kids, their parents, they're taking it from their parents. It's kind of like you mentioned the Beatles and the Stones and right. a couple of those other bands that all of those bands I took from my dad. Absolutely. And now kids are taking all these nineties bands from their parents. And it's kind of crazy how it's kind of built up that quick. You know, it just, it, it just, there's, I, you know, I, I talk about this a lot about the difference between fans in the States and fans in Europe, because it's something I've written about and studied. And it is there, there's just, there's something in the, their particular, they're playing that same kind of, um, in Europe, blues based rock and roll is not dead. And it's still very, it's still considered a youthful, like if you're, you know, you go, you, when you go to a show, like there's the crowd is diverse and they're all nationalities and all ages because it's not considered, it's not, con- it's not considered uh, a dead art form like it is here. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm not surprised that that's happening and I think it'll just keep happening. I think this is kind of, I don't know, like I said, timeless. And uh, some of these bands can stick around. Like uh, some of the follow-up bands from the mid-90s kind of, you can tell, are stuck in that mode. But uh, John kind of put it best. We did a couple weeks ago. We did a version of Black that was just tremendous. And it felt like it could have been played in the 60s. And, Mm. you know, it just had that that classic feel to it. Yeah. And I was also thinking uh, uh, when I was talking about, um, I went to the temple of the dog show at the garden and, and, and um, because I have kept my fan club number um, and will not give it up. Um, (laughs) Of course not. um, But which is great because I got to take a friend who's a huge fan came down from Boston and we were in the third row and it's like, Oh, this is nice. Um, even the people at the window were like, wow, your seats are really good. We're like, yeah, I know. <laughs> and I was thinking about how it didn't feel dated. Nothing about that show felt dated. You know, again, like timeless is, is I, I you know, it was kind of like we're suspended in, in something we're we're suspended in amor because it doesn't feel like this is from the 90s this doesn't feel like like where are we in this you know um that wasn't a very articulate thought but it's it's related well going back to to 5h like you mentioned you guys were getting submissions from just fans and people that were going to all these shows and you were kind of like aggregating it together into this into this like place but like reading through that thing now like i 
I'll be honest with you, like a couple of times a year, I just go through and read through it. And it just, it feels so much like a narrative, like a cohesive story. Was that like a conscious decision that you guys made? Or was it just like, let's just get this stuff archived so that people will have it in the future? Like how much of that was on purpose? I mean, there wasn't any, there was no thought of like, oh, in future decades, this will be useful to people. It was literally just wanting to make sure the, the important things about the band were chronicled correctly. And I had a very strong opinion about what, Gene and I had a very strong opinion about what correctly meant. Um, you know, we, we, we had a really high ethical standard. Um, we wouldn't, we were really careful about what we posted and where we got our information from and how we validated it. And if somebody wrote and said this at this show, they did this, we checked it. We didn't, you know, do you know how many phone calls we would get? Like, oh my God, they're put the tempo of the dog. Like it's the roadies. They're playing it over the sound system they're not chris cornell is not in st louis trust me um it was it was really just and it's not it's not anal retentive because we weren't we we weren't like that we were we were really making it up as we went along there wasn't there there really wasn't a, a a role model for us to follow I mean, we kind of borrowed, I don't know if you remember the very first Foo Fighters website, like that was, it, it was just, we, we had a very strict standard. A lot of people did not like that. It wasn't that we were being, we're trying to be exclusionary. It was just quality control. You know, I, like, do I know, do, how do I know, you know what you're doing? Um, so were you getting were you getting tapes from people like were you tracking down like bootlegs and all of that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was really. I mean, it was really easy to do back then if you had any kind of collection. And people were always, you know, if I didn't get it, you sure. would get it. If somebody else didn't get it, and then we tapped into um, the network of. I don't. I will not. I will not mention these people's names, but the the network of tapers. Um, there, I don't know if you, well, no, I will talk about these guys. There was a guy named Jared Hauser, again, of blessed memory. Jared and I knew each other when he did a Who fanzine in the 80s. And he lived into, he was part of a, a consortium of tapers that taped everything. And if they didn't tape it, they had someone who did. And um, those people liked what we were doing and they appreciated our attention to detail and our sort of relentless drive to get it right. And so pretty much anything we wanted or needed, we could get for the purposes of the site. Um, at some point, you know, it wasn't like even for our collections because it was like at some point you like, you know, I can remember reaching the point in my life where I'm like, I will die before I get to listen to all of this music that I have. Um, yeah, that, I know that feeling. <laughs> um, yeah, I had a friend that used to just send me everything he got that he knew I every live show he, of, of whatever band. And I literally had to tell him like around 2006, you have to stop because I, I, I can't I cannot. Um, 
and now it's and now also i mean now it's so easy to say i need something and throw it up online and i can grab it but um it was it was harder then we had to look we had to look for things and we had to you know there was also there was a lot of bootleg politics that went on um people who were making a living off of taping pj and selling those shows I think many of those people are dead now, so I don't feel too bad talking about them. <laughs> um, but yeah, you can you can go through the site. And a lot of them, you know, I'm, I'm assuming, you know, you, you talked about a few shows that you were at, but a lot of them have like, it'll say Karen's Review, Jean's Review. How, how many shows do you think you went to in the 90s? Were you guys making a conscious decision? Just like every time a tour was announced, like we got to split up as many as we can. Like we got to get the firsthand experience. I mean, no, because we both had jobs. We were grownups with jobs. Yeah. People used to say like, oh, you're at every show. No, no one weren't. I was working for Microsoft. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's hilarious when people would be like, oh, she doesn't have a life. She does have these concerts. Who does she think she is? Assholes. I worked in the fucking Windows division of Microsoft. I had a job. <laughs> Um, and, and there was a there was a period of time where we actually hosted Five H at on Microsoft servers because the, the ISP test division. I don't know. Somebody I was talking to at lunch was like, he, he was like, "Wait, you you run this website? Like, wait a second. And he and they hosted us because we were we could test things for them because we had MP3s before most people had MP3s. We had a lot of traffic. We had international traffic. Um, but, but the, the whole, like the, the spirit of seeing multiple shows is something that I at least grew up with as a normal thing. My parents did not realize it was normal until much later when they're like, wait, your, your child doesn't go to five shows. I can remember having a conversation with my dad about the 1998 tour. And he was like, how many shows are you going to? And I was like 13 and they're broken up like this. And my father's like, well, that seems like a good amount. My father knew nothing about rock and roll. Um, it, it, it was basically like what we would, you know, you do this. I, I know this is not like Karen's thing. Like you look for the runs of shows, the ones you can, you, what can you drive to? What can you do over a weekend or a holiday? Um, you know, where do you know people? Um, where are the smallest venues? I can remember when everyone's like, everyone went to like a show in like the Dakotas because they all thought they'd get be the best seats. And then they made it a GA show and everyone was fit. <laughs> <laughs> like, God damn it. I wasted my fan club ticket on that. Um, so it wasn't, it was, you know, I, I would, you know, ideal, like I have a much different philosophy about seeing shows now. Um, and also like sort of depends who the band is, but like Bruce Springsteen, you go to the opening night, you go to the closing night. Like, it doesn't matter where it is you go. Um, but I don't, I, I, you know, with PJ, it was just looking at, looking at the, the itinerary based on that. And, and trying to plan and planning around that sort of like, you know, you ha I have to work. Um, you know, I can remember, there, you know, somebody called me, they had a ticket for the show at the, uh, I want to say Constitution Hall. Yes. And I'm like, I cannot get on a plane. I am here. I, I am in Seattle. I have a, a site launching. I know. 
I, I cannot do this. Um, so I, you know, I, I, it wasn't like, oh, we're trying to, it's definitely, I definitely looked at it differently than my, my, my perspective and my way of examining an artist's musical continuum is much different now, but it's also how many years later, um, you know, it was, it was a way of educating myself, but I don't, you know, I'm much more, uh, if people know this thing about me, Bruce Springsteen, always looking for the narrative arc. I did not spend that amount of time with PJ looking for the narrative arc. Also because the shows were so different. Like if I had to like, look like I wasn't, and I also, I'm not a, I'm not quantitative. Like I'm not putting, I don't have a spreadsheet for Pearl Jam that shows me every song I've heard, whether it was the opening song or the encore and how many covers or how many, I I never did that. It never occurred to me to do that. Um, I only end up, I only have one for Bruce Springsteen because somebody did it for me. Um, because I don't think about it that way. Um, you know, you, you chase songs. Um, that actually, that kind of brings up a point because mid-1998, it feels like a lot of these songs, you know, from the time that, that Jack was in the band, they laid off a lot of the, those songs. A lot of fan favorites were just not touched for years and years and years. And it feels like 1998, a couple of them come back, and it feels like there was a lot of fan uh, participation in that with songs like Breath, songs like Hard to Imagine. And then you get a little bit later in 2003 where Matt starts to finally play on songs like Why Go and, and then Rats Unleash a little bit later. But do you guys, like looking back, do you think that you guys guys had a lot of influence on no. maybe maybe them playing those songs no not at all no okay zero i i i i can't i cannot tell you that like i, I i'm sh- i don't i have no I, I have no idea i mean i i like there was i used i i had fairly decent evidence at one point that Eddie was reading the message board on 5H. Um, But that's different than, yeah, I don't think that anybody was, it it just, none of them, it it just doesn't seem like a thing they would be, they they don't, and I don't mean this, I don't mean it in an insulting way, but like, I cannot see anybody in Pearl Jam, maybe Matt, Matt Cameron is different because I know like he appreciated the unofficial Soundgarden site and Soundgarden really liked that and they thought about it that way. But I, I can't see, especially at that point in time, I cannot see any member of that, that band like going, oh, let's see what the fans had to say about, let's, you know, let's see what the fans had to say about, um, you know, the show in, in, in Albuquerque. You know, what would the, let's go, I, I, I don't, I don't think that, and, and also I, I will tell you, they did not like the fact that they could not control the site, that they had no, um, that, you know, again, a band wants to control their image and how their information is presented and Pearl Jam had a very specific aesthetic and 
I, I know they did not see it as, no, that's not true. They, the, the, the problem that the real problem that happened was we started getting a lot of industry sources because they liked what we did. They respected what we did. And, you know, if somebody inside Sony is going to leak something to me, I'm going to print it. Um, and the problem that they had, and I had this conversation at one point with um, Nicole Vandenberg, where she's like, the problem is everyone knows that you're really careful with your sourcing and your information. So when you print something, everyone calls us and they say, well, it's Five Horizons and they're always right. You know, she was like, could you let me know before you do something? And I'm like, mm, I tried that for a little while and it didn't really work. And we didn't want anything from them. You know, we just yeah. wanted to, do, we, we, we absolutely did not want anything from them. Um, just wanted, we just wanted to do what we were doing. And I know nobody be believes this and it probably sounds, but I mean, like nobody had any illusions that we were going to become their friends. We just wanted to do it right and make sure it was done right. That was all we cared about. After about almost 10 years, you guys, I've, I've got to assume that there was, there was some burnout involved when you get to 2003, 2004, and you guys decide to pass it on to two feet thick. It, what, what was that kind of time period like after that? Cause that was a long 2003 tour that you guys were, were working on. I'm sure you were spending a lot of time in addition to your normal job working on this. So I left the site in 2001. Okay. I could not take it. I could not take, people would track down my phone number at work and call me and ask me if Eddie was going to be at the dead moon show in San Diego. Wow. Um, uh, people would post on Synergy. I remember I went to see X. I have been, I saw X when I was in high, high school and somebody posted on Synergy about, I was at X and this is what I did. And this, I, like, she's obviously following Eddie around. I'm like, fuck you. Um, and people just people people there were crazy people there are there are still crazy people um i'm sure there's new crazy people um there was this one husband and wife couple that like used to stay in the band's hotel which is not a thing you do like some bands you can do that with not i wouldn't do it with pj if i had checked into their hotel by accident i would leave um and she, I got these photos of like the band at a, she sent me, this woman sent me these photos with the band at a party. And I looked at them a little closer when she sent me the scans. I'm like, they were clearly like taken through a bush. And so I'm like, Hey, oh my God. were you invited to this? Here's some photos of the band at a party. And I'm like, were you guests at this party? And she's like, no, no, I took it through the bushes. And I said, I cannot run these. And you should not do that. And she like also like I told somebody like the thing that they needed to do was make she told this one woman she's like you need to get yourself a distinctive hat so that the band no like like I I the 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 motive so Jean 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 dropped out because she didn't drop out but she went very silent partner 
because people, because of fan craziness. And I like, there was a point in 2000 where I changed my phone number. I changed my email address. I went to Asia for a month because people were fucking nuts. And, uh, you know, just accusing us of like, we were just, we were just two, you know, attentive women who had really loved the band and really had thoughts about really had, you know, wanted to do this in a certain way. That was all we wanted. Um, and people go crazy. Like I can, there was a, there was a show, there was a dead moon show at the off ramp and the other show, there were two other shows that night in town. And I went to see dead moon because I love dead moon and Eddie was there and he was just hanging out. He was just hanging out and he kept coming and standing next to me. And I was like, this is really weird. And so I went, I was like, oh, okay. He would never just come up and be like, hi, I'm Eddie. And I finally went over and talked to him about the show he did with Sea Average, where he was dressed as Roger Daltrey, that I happened to be at just completely by luck. Um, and people, I don't know, somebody like showed up because they got a phone call that Eddie was there. And it was like, Karen knew that Eddie was going to be there. And she did not tell anyone. I'm like... <laughs> I, I just, I can't, I really think it's, imp I really want to convey the insanity of these people and the ownership that they, that they felt they had of the band. And two of these women are dead and I am not sorry. I am not sorry. When I heard that what I was just like, rest in peace, you're not going to be stalking me anymore. Um, that, you know, and, I, and it was also things like, I remember somebody posting on Synergy that especially the other problem was we were women and we were, we were adult women. And, you know, to, to a teenage guy who doesn't have any agency, who lives in a small town and doesn't have any money. And he sees these women going to all these Pearl Jam shows. They go to all the shows that they want. Who the hell do they think they are? People get very angry. And it was also like, remember there was a post on Synergy about how these two guys thought that we were going to be like these hot Pearl Jam bunnies. And then they saw us in the queue for Kansas City. And we weren't hot Pearl Jam bunnies. Like, seriously. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just, you can't see me right now, but I'm just speechless. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's quite a story. I mean, there's, and there's more, and it's and there's more that's worse. But that I'm was sure. that was why I that was why I I stopped and I went anonymous on the internet for a really long time because I was terrified of Pearl Jam fans finding me and like swarming me again. Um, I started a baseball blog in like 2005 and I was complete I, and, and I was one of the like the first early I was an early blogger and I just I wouldn't have my name attached to it I think we have to say the name of this website for Randy metsgirl.com I probably read it once or twice really oh yeah I'm a Mets fan so I probably dig it up 
if I if I stumbled across it somewhere, especially 2005, 2006, I was all over everything those years. I was in college, so that was yeah. easy, easy for you me had to a, pick You up had on. a lot of time. And, yeah. and the, the really sad thing is that, I, you know, there, there came a point where I was like, I was tired of doing cool things on the Internet and not getting credit for it. So I you know, sort of ventured out. I also started like, you know, I'd go to a show, a tour. Um, but I remember I was sitting in Philadelphia. I want to say, yeah, tell guys, tell me what tour it was where that was like the closest show to New York city, 2005. The Camden, uh, not Camden, not Camden. It wasn't Focus Camden. Center. No, okay. it was the, the, it was the arena. Oh, eight. No. Cause Oh eight, they were at the garden. Um, okay. I think it was probably 06 because they played the Irving Plaza show and that was kind of Yes, like and I didn't get those right. fucking tickets because <laughs> the, the fucking geographic the measurements. I was just on the other side of the river. I was really pissed about this. Um, yes, it was that. And I went and I invited uh, this guy I met from. I used to really, I, I go, used to go see this band called Marat in Philadelphia a lot. And there was a guy who was a huge Pearl Jam fan. He was like one of the, and he was also one of like the earliest Marat fans. He worked on a construction team, like a construction crew. And I was like, Tommy, do you want, would you like my second ticket to the show? I'm coming to Philadelphia. You're a huge fan. I guess he told me he'd never seen them. And I was like, no, no, you should, you should come. I'm coming down. I didn't tell him how good the seat would be. And I just left the ticket at the box office for him. And he comes walking down the aisle and he was just like, Karen Rose, what the fuck? And this guy in front of me heard him say Karen Rose. And he turned around and says, are you Karen Rose? Oh, like, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> I, 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 sorry. No, I don't know who that is. So. Well, I sympathize with you. And. <laughs> It's just yeah. uh, like, I, I, I hope it's not as bad now. Uh, I, I don't think I try not to to dig into those circles at all. Uh, and I hope that the fans have kind of chilled out because it's 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 easier now, I think, because we're all kind of connected through Facebook and Twitter and, and more social media that like you know, having a blog or something, you know, having an, an archive that you're putting together, I think people feel more connected and a lot of people that we talk to on the show, we try to kind of befriend. So we don't, it doesn't feel like we're, you know, doing things for them. It feels like we're doing things with them. So yeah, I, 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 All right, I didn't really even mean to go off on that, but I was like, no, I think people should know, like, that is why I stopped. Yeah. And that's fine. Yeah. And it's, and it's also, it, it, it's, it also was the time of, of, I don't, you know, I can't tell you if that impacted me following the band, but I do, I do think I've looked at it. I've tried to look at it through a sort of critical lens. And I just think that they, they made a turn then and it didn't resonate with me as much. And, you know, I have tried the subsequent albums and the, it, you know, there's some, there's some good songs, but it, there's nothing that I listened to, you know, like there was a whole bunch of people that stopped following the band when they opened for the stones. It was a really big 
thing that was that split the fandom. And a lot of those people came back later. There, you know, like I said, I have my fan club number. I went to Fenway because I'd never seen a band. I'd only seen, seen Tom Petty at Fenway, and I thought, oh, this will be fun. And it was fun. I was seventh row center. What's not fun about that? <laughs> Um, they, and they did a bunch of the songs that I would have liked to have heard and, you know, that, and, and I'm, I'm grateful. I really love being able to take somebody who, you know, doesn't know from the fan club and never did, but loves Pearl Jam. I love, like, you know, the fact they got to take my friend Maura to see Temple of the Dog. We got to see them together. Like, oh my God, if I had missed that show, I would be slitting my wrists. I feel, there are um, so many important things I think about that show. That show was the last day before Trump became president. Oh, um yeah. yeah. And, and speaking of all the, the stuff you were saying before, I, I could not step one foot in one direction that day without seeing somebody say, Hey, you know, Eddie's here tonight. Like, no, he's not. Yeah. Well, he could be. Uh, Oh my God. The the Eddie could be, you don't understand. He he has a plane. You get on a plane. I'm like, he's not. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Sure. Sure. You're right. Absolutely. (laughs) Totally. It could happen. Or like, you know, people would be like, Pearl Jammer in New York, and I've taken the CBGB's ad, and I have done Google searches on every single band, and these two bands don't exist, so they are definitely Pearl Jam. Have fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Looking back on everything, though, the experience and being able to do this, and uh, that you're writing a book about Patti Smith, um, how has that kind of like all come together and, and kind of impacted? Uh, who you are as, you know, professional and, and music, uh, uh, music fan and, and how you've kind of went about things. Um, so, I mean, one of the big reasons I wanted to start Five Horizons is that I had always wanted to be a writer and I just could never figure out how to make that happen. And so, well, if I'm going to do this website, I'm going to do all this writing. Um, and it definitely, it, I, I cringe at a lot of it, but it definitely, you know, writing is a skill like any other skill and you just have to do it. And definitely like writing on a deadline, um, how to, you know, taking notes at shows, um, being, you know, sort of looking, looking for the theme, looking for the thread, looking, keep, having, being able to look at something and say, this is important, whether you're doing it when it happens or do it later. And, and just sort of my whole approach to researching a band, you know, when I, or I have to do something like, uh, you know, I write about the Bruce Springsteen live releases often um, in a sort of semi-official capacity. And, you know, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to pull up Bruce space and I'm going to dump everything into a spreadsheet and I'm going to start looking for, the patterns that, that I'm going to be looking, you know, I'm, I'm looking for certain things and what are the covers and what do they mean? Um, and, and I definitely taught myself how to do those things through running five horizons. Um, and I run into people all the time who like people will say things like, wait, are you the Karen Rose from Five Horizons? Oh my God, I read your site every day when I was in high school. Um, 
most of the people that are like, you know, or I say to somebody, someone says, oh God, I was just such a huge, you know, Pearl Jam fan. I'm like, did you ever go to a website called Five Horizons? And they were like, that was you. Um, I know that, I know that most people, it was a lifeline and it was something that enhanced them being a fan. And I take tremendous in pride and joy in having been part of that. Um, you know, when uh, I watched the Cameron Crowe documentary and I was shocked to see the thank you to Five Horizons, um, but I, I appreciated that. Um, because if there's somebody who's going to know good scholarship when they see it, it's Cameron Crowe. So were you shocked by a lot of that archival footage that he had? No, I really wasn't. I really wasn't. They're so coy with this. This is sort of like the, the, they, they can, and I don't blame them because they went what they went through in the nineties, like, Oh my God, I, I just can't imagine what it was like to have that much pressure and that much of a spotlight on you. And it doesn't matter how much you know about music. You don't know how you're going to handle stardom until you're in it. And then you're like, Oh shit. Um, but I think that the, the sort of coyness about what they have and what they, what they capture. Like, I don't, did you see the Tom Petty documentary? I haven't watched it. No, the running down a dream. The, like, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. I've seen it. Okay, you know they have footage from like day one. Day like yeah. when the band drove to Los Angeles for the first time, they had a movie camera. They had everything, um, and there was never. They didn't like pretend that they, they, they thought they were going to be big, and so they documented it. Like there was no like, oh no, we just you know, we're just writing our songs and, you know, whatever happens, happens. Um, so, and I think that Pearl Jam are more, well, I mean, Stone and Jeff, come on, you had two people with really good music business minds, like to try to pretend that you're just this sort of amorphous, happy ship of rock and roll and you're not really strategic. You're going to be strategic. Come on. It's your life. It's your music. So that's a very long no, I was not surprised. <laughs> so yet, how long did it take? Uh, I know your first book, B-Sides and Broken Hearts, was published in 2011. And I know, you know, books obviously take a long time. But when did you start the, the preparation for that? And did your experience with 5-H kind of, like you mentioned, give you some confidence to start something, a project like that? No. I'm sorry. No, no. anything like, like, so what I did, I was a project, I was a, what they call a program manager at Microsoft, which is a project management discipline. And that definitely, well, I will tell you that that helped me run five horizons in a professional and efficient way. Um, my manager even knew when I would be getting phone call, like, Oh, it's people. Oh, is that a phone call from Europe? Do you have to take the set list? Um, <laughs> But I started writing B-sides like that. That was the other thing was that I would get through a tour and I would be exhausted and 
I would be so depressed because I had done all this work to to chronicle Pearl Jam. And I and I was like, I I am a parasite. I do not have art of my own, which is very harsh, a very harsh way of looking at it, because there is an art to what I was doing, but I didn't really see it at the time. But it's definitely one of the reasons that I was willing to walk away from Five Horizons was because I wanted to be able to focus on what I wanted to do. Um, so, you know, the the discipline I had in writing a book and all of that, that's that I, I use that. I, I learned that discipline and I applied it to Five Horizons and I took it and I applied it to other areas of my life. Um, but no, I'm sorry to tell answer your question with a no there. But I, hey, I hope I answered it. That's fair, absolutely. We want the truth. That's all we're asking for. So, uh, thank you for coming and doing this. I think this was definitely an eye-opening conversation because a lot of the stuff that we're going through, we, you know, there are things that we've talked about the same way. Like, you know, it's a little bit different now because we have all the bootlegs that we can intake. Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. But we're also, we're going back and we're doing a lot of the work post time and we have to kind of remember themes that happened. Like we were, we, we did a, an episode last week uh, about the Rio show in 2018. And that was, a week after Mariel Franco was assassinated. And those are things like it tied into the show because they, they talked about the government. They talked about what was going on and it led to a performance of leaving here. And like, those are things that we have to kind of dig up and right. we have to, we have to uh, attach to all of this. So it's not just going back and looking at the bootlegs, it's kind of going back and looking at, at history because a, a lot of what this band is is a reaction to history, especially American history. Uh, yes, absolutely. And I think like in 10 years, it's going to be, I, I would hope that it's going to be like somebody's, uh, you know, PhD thesis because I, I think it would be worth, it would definitely be worth tracing um, you know, I was thinking about the, one of the f first performances of Bush Lager and like some asshole at a newspaper in Colorado oh, yeah. posted something, wrote something really terrible. And I, res I, I don't, I, again, it was one of those things where like, don't argue with people on the internet. <laughs> and I, I sent the, this person a letter and he was like, I'm not listening to you. You're not objective. And I was like, I'm like, cause I ran the website. No, I just know more than you do. Again, thank you for being um, relentless and, um, and, and also very polite and not an asshole. Cause I'm like, okay, these are, these are nice people. I'm going to go talk to them. Thank you for keeping five horizons up after all these years. All right. So, wow. Like we mentioned earlier in the intro, she was totally raw, totally honest about things, uh, didn't hold back. And uh, boy, is that what we love in our guests on this show? Yeah, we just like, love for the truth. And she's got some great stories, just stuff that we hadn't heard before. Just some, it was it was just so interesting to to just sit back and just listen to her talk. It's the, it's just some of it's so revealing too, like that the the ways that people would go out 
and try to seek the band's attention and try to like get into to the inner circle with the band and you know what people thought of of her and and gene and just how fucking awful how some of those people treated them like oh yeah, like this paparazzi mindset that yeah that was going on. just yeah scary and like, I, you know I, I brought up somewhere in there uh, saying like I think it's a different era now. It's a different age where, and and maybe you know maybe it's different because yes, that they, they are they are women and they're always going to be judged and looked at differently by awful people. That's just what happens. But you know, with social media and how you know you're kind of interconnected a little bit more, I wonder what Five Horizons would have been like in this time i i i think there was still a lot of just almost the sense of like local community within the internet in the early stages yeah. like late 90s early 2000s yeah yeah and like oh she goes into like working at microsoft and all that it's just mm-hmm. yeah really interesting stuff and they yeah it was like this little this little community that they had and you know you're you're kind of insular in this little community and then when more people and more people and more people want to get into that community, like it changes it. And gee, does that sound familiar? <laughs> well, it you know, happens all the time. It, yeah. it does. Yeah, it, it does. And, and the best thing that you can do is just being in control of it and, you know, not take, not take, uh, you know, no one to say no, no one to say yes, and not let anybody yeah. try to control you. We understand where where she's coming from and how sometimes this this fandom can get the best of some people, and they don't realize that there are people behind the journalists. And uh, yeah, I mean, I know. was talking about the band themselves too. Like, well, you know, sure, of course. You talk about yeah, going, you know, from this little thing into the like stalker thing. Yes, yeah. awful. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, yeah, just we, 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 I'm just gonna, yeah, we can just gush about this all day. But yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed that. Um, yep. Check out check out Karen's website, jukeboxgraduate.com. Check out her her Patty Smith books uh, coming next year. Make sure and pre order that if, if it's available for pre order yet. And again, follow her on Twitter at Karen Rose if you're into music, if you're into rock and roll stuff at all. She's a great follow, and yeah, she's a great writer. So thank thanks Karen again for taking the time out to do it. Absolutely. Yeah. Once again, thank you, Karen. And, uh, you know, one of the goals, and I'll still have this goal. I would love to do a round table with Karen and Jean and then Jessica and Kathy and John from, from two feet thick as well. And have how kind of it, it's sort of trickled yeah. down in, into what we're doing here again. Uh, thank you all for, for listening in. Uh, it was wonderful talking to Karen Rose and, uh, yeah, we, we, just five horizons is an absolute treasure to this community. And, uh, we're just thankful that they put in all, all that effort and we're hoping that we can got to have a modicum of that, uh, success. We wouldn't be doing it without, without what they paved the way to do. So, all right. We can say goodbye. John, you want to say goodbye? You can say goodbye. Bye. Bye. This may be the end. We're hearing from not much longer, and uh, we're parting ways, so we miss you. Goodbye. <laughs>